Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the paranormal legacy of the Second World War. The story that stands out about Patton for me is that now he died shortly after he was involved in a Jeep crash. Now, both of his daughters claimed that the ghost of Patton either appeared to them or called, believe it or not, called them. One daughter said that she got a long-distance call, a, a transatlantic call. She could hear his voice and communicated with him briefly, and then it cut off. I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called Carbon 60. I call it the Miracle Molecule. Now, you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher, Chris Burris, who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of carbon-60 called ESS60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60Evo.com formula. The formula is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60. The mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning and we're both pain-free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of Carbon 60. I call it the miracle molecule, ESS60, from C60Evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code 
RS1SPEC. That's RS1SPEC. Buy today at c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com. And don't forget the code RS1SPEC. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Well, it's official. Christmas and New Year's are over. We put the last of the Christmas decorations away yesterday, and the boys are back into their daily routines, piano lessons, tennis, schoolwork, and now I'm back into my routine as well. Writer Matt Swain is standing by to discuss some of the dozens of paranormal phenomena that have been witnessed in the European and Pacific theaters, as well as historic locations in the United States, all have been uh, documented quite nicely in his new book, Haunted World War II. Matt is a journalist who currently works as a research writer at Penn State. He's worked as a reporter and as a music reviewer for several newspapers and online outlets. He's a regular contributor to the recently revitalized version of Omni Magazine called Omni Reboot. He writes the Anti-Matter column, which looks at fringe science and the paranormal. Previous books include Haunted Rock and Roll, More Haunted Rock and Roll, Ghosts of Country Music, and America's Haunted Universities. And his latest is Haunted World War II, Soldier Spirits, Ghost Planes, and Strange Synchronicities. Matt Swain, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Did you have uh, a grandfather or relatives that, that fought in the Second World War? I did. Neither of my grandfathers fought in the war. My one grandfather was uh, worked in the railroad, so he was considered uh, too important in that job. I'm not sure about my other grandfather, but my uncles were all in the war. I had an uncle in the Battle of the Bulge. I had an uncle uh, in the Pacific. So. I mean, it was uh, there was a lot of World War II talk, and of course, I was right there listening with every uh, every breath they took. And and how? Because you've written about haunted universities and and haunted rock and roll, two volumes, uh, ghost stories from uh, from the country music. Mm-hmm. How do you approach a, a book about ghost stories from the Second World War differently, or do you approach it differently? That's that's a really good question. And to be honest with you, initially I approached it the way I approach my uh, – because I'm interested in, in music history, I approached the book on World War II just as I approached uh, the books on uh, haunted rock and roll and, and country music ghosts, which is I try to find as many stories as possible. Uh, I try to uh, – Put cast out as wide a web as possible and find, you know, any type of interesting stories, weird synchronicities, anything like that. But what I quickly discovered with, with 
my efforts to create uh, these stories in World War II is that uh, the stories are a lot uh, more uh, – they're, they're much heavier, much, much – a lot more death and destruction. Uh, you have a lot of um, – you know, these soldiers who sacrificed their lives. So when I got into this real quickly, I decided that I, I couldn't have the same approach with the haunted rock and roll stories. And haunted rock and roll stories for me can be a little fun, a little frivolous. I mean, they're not all fun and games, not all jokes. But, you know, when you're doing a story about Jim Morrison haunting a bathroom in a Mexican restaurant, it's a heck of a lot different than approaching uh, the ghosts of some of these soldiers who uh, sacrificed their lives on the beaches of Normandy or some of these Japanese soldiers uh, in uh, the Pacific or even some of the really uh, poignant stories that, that came from Okinawa and Iwo Jima. So it very quickly changed for me and became much more serious and, like I said, a lot a lot heavier. Right. Yeah, you have to honor that sacrifice. So Absolutely. So, yes, obviously um, you have to handle it with a, a great deal of reverence. Many books have been written about haunted Civil War battlefields. That's pretty, you know, that territory has been combed over pretty thoroughly. So what then led you to the Second World War? Was it just because you were familiar mm-hmm. as a child with, with through your uncles, or were, was there something in particular about the Second World War that attracted you? Yeah, and I'll be quite honest about this, is I started – to collect stories about the American Civil War, uh, to do a, a ghost stories about the Civil War, because I'm I'm more of a Civil War buff than uh, a World War II buff. Uh, but very quickly, I've, I discovered that, that the territory has been so well covered, and, and I didn't really think I could add any more stories to it or even add any angles, fresh angles to the stories that are already out there. So... Uh, I really just fell back on, you know, those stories that I, you know, grew up with as a kid. Uh, and I, I do enjoy reading about World War II. Uh, I had uh, several classes in military history and we, we covered uh, World War II uh, pretty well in that. So I had that, that basic interest. What happened though was when I started collecting stories, I started to realize that there's Quite a difference between the American Civil War ghost stories and these stories of World War II. And the first is, is probably obvious is that they stretch across the globe. Uh, so World War II is really the first all out global conflict, although it, it kind of gets second billing next to World War I. But you have stories uh, that stretch into the Pacific, uh, into Russia, into Europe, and even some uh, stories that appear right here in the United States uh, in, a, in an odd kind of way. So th- it was a really global conflict. And the other difference that I noticed between the American Civil War ghost stories and World War II ghost stories is that there is actually a third dimension now. So in the Civil War, you didn't have planes. In World War II, you have planes. So this added a few more dimensions to uh, the book that I wrote because there's a uh, – a lot of stories about ghost planes, which are 
not ghosts haunted by pilots, but the the plane itself is is uh, is a ghost. So there's that. There's also these uh, Foo Fighters that I, I uh, brought into this volume, uh, as well as some mysterious um, uh, air bases that are that are haunted, and some uh, actual ghosts who do haunt haunt some of the planes in those displays at the museum. So it really turned into a much broader kind of uh, volume than I probably would have experienced had I just stuck with the, the Civil War stories. Sure, it's a, it's a it's a it's a big canvas. Um, how do you collect stories like this? Because uh, not many World War II vets around anymore. Every year, fewer and fewer. Right, right, and that's uh, that's a, a really a sad thing about this, and and I think it kind of underscores why. I felt uh, the need to do this as well is because a lot of these stories are starting to disappear. And one of the things that I learned while writing the the book about university ghost stories is that ghost stories help preserve history. I mean, they're not great at at telling all the stories of of uh, a historical event, but they do give you the interest to dive into it, and they introduce you to some of the characters and some of the events. Uh, so, you know, one of the ways that I start looking for it is really uh, going back on my own study of the war itself. So I'm thinking about key figures, key battles, and then I go on a search through, uh, start out on the web, but I'll look in biographies, I'll look in uh, newspaper accounts, magazine accounts, a lot of web accounts, people will tell their stories there. So a lot of the ghost stories that I find are people who have experienced these ghosts as tourists uh, overseas uh, and, uh, you know, some other places like in magazines, they'll talk about this. The ghost stories of the vets themselves, I, I don't really have a lot of them in, in this volume. What about your uncles? Did they ever have any uh, ghost stories or strange synchronicities or anything? Odd occurrences? That's a, that's, that's a, a great story question and i i can't remember anything like that i just remember vividly the story that my uncle was uh was a radio man in the battle of the bulge and got stuck behind the lines uh, as the germans poured through and i don't know whether he was supposed to be behind the lines or he just got stuck there but he uh, recounted wearing all white and being buried in the snow and he heard German voices come across. So I've, I've had stories like that, but I can't say that I've had any, uh, they never told me any of the ghost stories. You know, we just passed the 77th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, as you say, it's a, it's a day that lives in infamy, but it's a day that, that lives on in many other ways, as you suggest. Tell us a little bit about the uh, some of the supernatural activity uh, around Pearl Harbor, both the naval base, I guess, and the, and the airfields and so forth. Sure. Uh, I, I would have to say that, you know, again, this is, this is sacred ground, but it's also uh, haunted ground, and... You know, this is another story that is on American soil in, in Hawaii. And what I found is that Pearl Harbor is probably, just as it's probably one of the most sacred sites for, for historians and, and for people who honor and respect the veterans who gave their lives there, it, 
it's also one of the most haunted spots, uh, paranormally speaking. And the, the ghost stories range from one of the ones that I, I recall is that, uh, the, some of the, some of the phenomena is actually like you can take pictures of. And, uh, in one case, a, a tourist, uh, a woman was taking pictures of the area around the Arizona Memorial where the USS Arizona sunk. And when she took the picture, she didn't really see any ghosts or anything like that. But when she analyzed uh, the film, uh, she could see faces in the water itself, and they look like the faces of young sailors. So that's some of the phenomena that you have there, but you also have stories that – uh, kind of mix in with what I would call ghost lore uh, around the area, too. And this one also takes place in uh, the USS Arizona. And the backstory to this one is that uh, during right before the attack on Pearl Harbor, right before um, the Japanese attacked, there was a sailor who was on watch on the USS Arizona, and he left the ship briefly during watch, which is a no-no. Uh, and seconds later, as he started returning to the ship, he saw that it gets it, he saw that it was attacked. And so there's stories now that um, people see a figure of a lone sailor looking out onto the memorial, and he, he is usually kind of misty and kind of encompassed in mist. So that's another story there. And as you point out, that the area around uh, Pearl Harbor wasn't the only target for the attack. There were several air bases and several army bases around the base that that were attacked as well. And this has led to a lot of ghost stories that you'll find in the Schoenfield Barracks and Hickam Air Base. And some of those uh, range, again, from people seeing uh, – ghostly figures to uh in in one case one of the barracks was used as a morgue and uh people usually around uh, late at night will hear usually the, it's the guards who are on duty in that building they'll hear what sounds like a, the steps um starting to shake and then they'll hear rumbles coming down the steps and then some people have even said that the the staircase itself starts to uh starts to shake and, and buckle, almost like more and more people are coming down the steps. And the interesting thing there is the, is the story that I got was really from a guard who, who worked, worked there, and he noticed that at the time that he was there, the CQ desk, which is where the, the guards usually sit, is typically indoors in the building itself, but for some reason this was pushed out. And according to him, it was pushed out because of all this this ghostly activity. There's also stories about this the same building. Uh, it, it starts to smell like corpses, probably relating back to its use as a morgue during the attack. Wow. When you collect these stories, you know, if we're talking about the Eastern Front, obviously you're dealing with Russians, or if you're in the Pacific Theater, you're dealing with uh, the Japanese or maybe mm-hmm. even uh, the Chinese culture. Do they tell ghost stories differently? Is there any difference in the way different cultures approach a ghost story? Interesting. You know, I I will say that the Japanese, the stories that involve the Japanese feel very much like their tradition of ancestor worship. And they also uh, seem to be centered 
on going back home. And again, you know, as I was mentioned earlier, these stories are so poignant. And there's there's one about, uh, in particular, about a, uh, I, I think he's a Japanese military contractor who lives in Iwo Jima. Before he goes to uh, Japan, he shuttles back and forth from Iwo Jima to Japan. He tends to get a knock late at night. And what he does is he opens up the door and says, I'm leaving tomorrow. Come on with me. Because he believes that these Japanese soldiers, these are ghosts of Japanese soldiers who were either uh, committed suicide on the island or who were buried and burned alive in some of the uh, caves in on that island. And he believes that they want to go back to Japan. So there are elements of that 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 yearning to return home, uh, and I think it's a connection with uh, the Japanese Shinto religion, which does have an element of, of ancestor worship in it. What's the most bizarre ghost story you write about in your book? I would say the the most bizarre story that I found, uh, and again, you know, I'm trying to think about key terms when I'm approaching these stories. So the one, uh, the one person I really wanted to... Uh, look for is whether any of the German generals were haunting any of the battlefields, like Rommel. So during my search for Rommel, I was searching for ghost stories about him. I expected him to be, you know, maybe there might be some in North Africa, or there might be some um, on the Atlantic seawall, which he was uh, the mastermind in, in the German defenses there. But I actually found him in the American South in West Virginia. There's a ghost story uh, that revolves around this mysterious story that between the wars, after World War One and before World War Two, there was allegedly a secret mission where the German generals came to the United States to tour Civil War battlefields, in particular the Shenandoah Valley where uh, Stonewall Jackson was so, um, so uh, masterful in some of his campaigns. And so... There's one story of an inn that's haunted by Rommel, or they believe it's uh, haunted by Rommel because he allegedly stayed there. And then there's a uh, graveyard where uh, some people have seen this uh, figure standing over the graves of some of the Confederate war dead. Uh, and it looks like he's dressed in a German uniform with a, a long trench coat and, and, you know, the distinctive kind of headgear that the German uh, field marshal used to, to, uh, to wear. So that, that was one of the weirdest ones because I wasn't expecting to find him in the United States at all. Uh, but also I got a chance to write about the Civil War, which, uh, made me happy as well. Is there a history of Rommel being in the United States before the war? Well, that's the real debate that goes on even today. And I try to share both sides of it. There's really no historical evidence that that happened whatsoever. But the believers in the story counter, well, if it was a secret mission, why would there be any type of, um, of uh, you know, airplane tickets or anything like that? Of course, they wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have done that. So that that debate still still rages. Uh, I could not find a shred of evidence to suggest that that he was here, even in his diaries or memoirs. There were no mentions. So uh, it's uh, it's still up for debate. What about Patton? Because everything I know about Patton is based on George C. Scott's portrayal in that epic movie. 
but based on that, I mean, he certainly was he believed in reincarnation that he had, he had participated in, you know, Roman battles and and uh, fought with the ancient Greeks and so forth. Fascinating historical figure. So surely someone must have seen Patton's ghost. Well, yeah, and there's uh, the the story that stands out about uh, Patton for me, and is one of the reasons why I tried to find his ghost stories is that he claimed to have a vision on the battlefield of seeing his ancestors, uh, who were Confederate uh, heroes, urging him on when he was injured during World War One, and, and uh, uh, you know they he he claimed that they kind of watched over him. With, with Patton himself, now he died um, shortly after uh, uh, he was involved in a, in a Jeep crash. Now, both of his daughters claimed that Patton, the ghost of Patton, either appeared to them or called, believe it or not, called uh, them. Uh, one daughter said that she got a long-distance call, uh, a transatlantic call, and she used to receive those quite often from her father. Um, but this was different because uh, he could hear – she could hear his voice and communicated with him briefly, and then it cut off. And so she immediately tried to reconnect with the operator, and the operator said that there was no, no call. Uh, the other daughter claimed that she woke up. Uh, late at night, early in the morning, uh, and she saw her father at the foot of her, her bed. Uh, and I think he, he said some pleasantries to her and, and asked how she was and then disappeared. And that was on the same, at the same moment that, uh, he was dying of his injuries in a military hospital. Fascinating. Um, the, uh, the idea that this is a, a debate that sort of rages in the, in the paranormal community. And there's the one camp that believes that, that uh, ghosts actually have consciousness and that you can communicate with them. Uh, and then there is sort of the other camp, uh, that believes that, that ghosts are, um, just sort of an, an, an echo. Uh, of emotion or, uh, you know, obviously in, in war there's a lot of trauma and, and, and violence and so forth and somehow that emotion becomes embedded, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the surrounding, uh, in, in buildings and so forth. W- where do you land in, in, in this debate? I, I land way outside of that actually and, uh, you know, I, I do see in collecting this volume that there are instances which I would I would classify the phenomena more as that echo, uh, especially you know when I talk about the the ghosts in the Eastern Front, they seem to be echoes of long past. Uh, and, and then there are other ones where they're interactive. This you know ghost of George Patton talking to his daughters and whatever means or manner he can. So that seems very interactive. But over, I, I think this is my fifth volume that I've written, I'm starting to move more towards the idea about uh, consciousness being involved in this in, in one way or the other. Uh, when I talk about music ghosts, I think there's a consciousness-raising uh, activity involved in either playing music or listening to music that uh, raises one's consciousness where you're at least, at the very least, open to some of these spiritual uh, activities. 
So that that's one thing. And in war, I think it's the trauma. And I think when you're in an area, when you're in a battlefield, you are uh, kind of your consciousness is is ready and uh, for these experiences. So a lot of times I wonder whether the ghost to me, these ghost stories are more about us, the living, than they are about the dead. Uh, I think they, those are the lessons that they are, are inspiring is, is really coming from us. So as I go through this, I, I'm starting more and more to see almost like a bigger picture rather than just these, well, what type of spirits are they? It's like, I always want to say, well, well, what are they telling you rather than, you know, what are they? More of my conversation with Matt Swain when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. CBD oil seems to be all the rage. 
but it's important to learn the difference and know the background of something that isn't new, but in fact very, very old. Did you know that the hemp plant which CBD is extracted from has been around for over 10,000 years? And this is probably a conservative figure. Ancient Life Oil is a trusted name for high-quality CBD that can help you reach your ideal well-being. I take an eyedropper full of Ancient Life CBD oil every morning. And one of the things I've noticed and the people around me have noticed is that I'm far less anxious, less stressed, more relaxed, and that's a great feeling. It also leaves me more focused. And I even find that after exercising, I recover from muscle soreness much quicker. Ancient Life Oil, it's big relief in a little bottle. And they have products for your pets as well. Ancient Life CBD oil has no psychoactive effect and it won't get you high. And this product is legal in all 50 states. When you're healthy, you're happy. And the truth about this wonderful plant is that it wants to give back to mankind. Life, longevity, and happiness. Ancient Life Oil from ancientlifeoil.com. Physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Matt Swain stays with us, and we are discovering the paranormal legacy of the Second World War. And in his book, Haunted World War II, we'll uh, encounter dozens of phenomena in the European and Pacific theaters, as well as historic locations in the U.S., where the spirits of the dead are unable, I guess, or unwilling to let the past go. Uh, for example, the ghost of an admiral gives a tour of the USS Lexington, a tourists at Dieppe are haunted by the terrifying sounds of uh, battle. A full-body apparition appears at Schofield Barracks. Uh, ghost tanks are witnessed patrolling the Russian front. Phantom footsteps shock the guards at Hickam Air Force Base. Uh, ghostly soldiers knock on doors at Iwo Jima. A spirit sailor keeps eternal watch at Pearl Harbor. Uh, Matt's book also shares fascinating stories of supernatural warfare. We're going to learn about wizards and witches in England casting spells to hold the Germans at bay. Uh, Dion Fortune and the uh, the Fraternity of the Inner Light uh, working magic in support of the Allies. And Aleister Crowley waging a psychic campaign to capture high-ranking Nazi Rudolf Hess. Haunted World War II. Uh, explores the high strangeness and haunted aftermath of the most devastating clash of nations in living history. Oh, fascinating. Yes, that's a great point. Keeping along with the uh, sort of the famous ghosts, and we talked about Patton, uh, you talked about Rommel. What about Ike, Ike Eisenhower, the great general during the war? 
Yeah, Ike actually appears in a couple different um, ghost stories in my book. Um, the one is is in the United States, and um, I'm writing a volume on railroad ghosts, so that one appears in this one as well. But the National Railroad Museum in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, they have on display um, a, a car that he used in England. It would ferry him around from place to place right before – the the lead up to the invasion of Normandy, and there are a few things that have happened there. Um, notably, one of the volunteers was cleaning up uh, and vacuuming the floor, the carpet in this car that I I think it's called the Bullet, or um, it has a has a name like that because he uh, used it to go across so fast uh, across England so fast. But uh, so this volunteer was cleaning up uh, and then decided to take a break about halfway through. When he came back, the vacuum cleaner was all, you know, rolled up and moved. And he noticed that the the carpet was was uh, immaculately uh, vacuumed and the lines were all straight. And so he went around and asked people who had access because he had locked up the car on his way to break, you know, he asked them, you know, who, who, who was there at night or, or who was there during the break. And, uh, no one claimed it was them, but one thing he found out later was that Ike was very meticulous cleaner and that he insisted that these lines in the, in the vacuum, uh, when they would vacuum would be very straight. So it sounded like something the ghost of Ike would do. Uh, also in Gettysburg, his, there's a farmhouse that both Ike and, and Mamie are allegedly uh, uh, haunting. And so there are a lot of stories that, that have come cropped up around that, too. We've got to talk about Churchill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Winston Churchill, he has the honor, in, in my book at least, of both seeing a ghost and being a ghost. So his adventures in uh, seeing a ghost occurred in the United States. He was a frequent guest at the White House and would would stay in in uh, what's called uh, uh, now called the Lincoln's bedroom. I don't know whether it was called that at that point or not. But in any event, he was there one evening. Uh, he was uh, in meetings with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he had just finished up with his his uh, bath and I really hate to take your listeners there, but he <laughs> got out of the bathroom uh, uh, completely naked and walked into the bedroom and he looks by the dresser and there's a, the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. Churchill said that uh, the ghost looked at him and uh, he replied in, in complete Churchill fashion, uh, Mr. President, you've caught me at a disadvantage, and then the president <laughs> faded away. So th- he apparently told that story. Um, the other story is that there is a subway in, in the UK that allegedly is haunted by uh, Churchill. And according to a lot of stories, um, Churchill would, <clears throat> excuse me, Churchill would use this uh, subway as a, a kind of a shelter during the uh, the bombing of London during the Blitz and and during other times, and a few people have ex- have seen the ghost of Churchill in this area, and there was actually a, a flurry of activity a few years ago when um, a cameraman down there actually has footage of what looks like the ghost of Churchill. 
Fascinating. He lived to a ripe old age. I think he died, um, I think he was 90 yeah. in, in the mid-1960s, as I recall. Right, and, and still working up till the end. I love that story about uh, the White House and seeing the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. Stoic as always. That's classic mm-hmm. Churchill. Mr. President, you've caught me at disadvantage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where most of us would just run around screaming. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would have. Um, ghost planes and uh, and haunted airfields. That's a Section 2 in Haunted World War II. Uh, let's talk about the Phantom Flying Fortress. The Phantom Flying Fortress is, uh, I, I think you're referring to the one that, uh, the, the crew bailed out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a interesting story. Now, whether there's any ghostly activity involved with it, I don't know, but I found the, the story so interesting. And, you know, to back it up, there was a, a B-17 on a, on a mission. And I think they got, uh, they were, their plane was damaged during the bombing run and they lost a lot of speed about halfway, uh, back to base. They decided to bail out and, um, the crew made it out safely. But the weird part was that in this airfield in, I think it was Belgium, the anti-aircraft crews were watching this a big lumbering four-engine bomber coming down for a perfect landing right over their positions, right onto the landing strip. And then it kind of went off. The only hint they had that there was a problem was that it went into the field and, and sort of crashed. And so the uh, the air crews went over, rushed over to see what was wrong. They expected there to be injured pilots on board, but there was no one on board. Apparently, this B-17 had flown, you know, a few dozen, a few hundred miles and made a perfect landing at this air base in, in essentially the middle of nowhere. That's remarkable. So, yeah. <laughs> this th- is before autopilot. <laughs> right. No autopilot involved, no GPS. It just went on its own, you know. So I don't know whether that, there was some spirit on that plane guiding it or whether that's just another one of those weird World War II coincidences. The British Empire and the French Republic linked together in their cause and in their need will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Uh, before we get to the supernatural on the high seas, let's stick with the uh, the ghost planes for a little bit, if we can. Now, are there actual planes that were obviously in service during the war that that people still see flying around? Yeah, absolutely. That is uh, the ghost planes. Uh, actually, these stories continue to filter out, especially from the UK. Uh, even today, I think some of the, the ones I used in the book were uh, from the early 2000s to mid 2000s. And as I recall, as I was just getting ready to go to press, they were having, uh, there was another, uh, 
goes plain flap, if, if I can use that pun. But uh, the one in particular that uh, really gripped me what was occurred over what's called Dark Peak. And Dark Peak, the, the background from that, from what I gather, is that it's an area with considerable uh, air traffic, particularly in World War II, and there were a lot of crashes during World War II and, and even afterwards to such an extent that the Dark Peak gets this uh, moniker of, of the UK's Bermuda Triangle. So this... Uh, the, there were several incidences, and again, they're they're almost like um, a series of these sightings. But in one case, uh, a couple was driving down the the highway. I think it was the A6 highway in the UK, and uh, they looked out the window, and there was this huge four-engine bomber that was flying so low that they thought it was definitely going to crash. And they uh, had the windows rolled down. It made no noise, which was a little mystifying for them. It passed over. They didn't see any crashes or anything like that. They immediately reported it to their uh, to the police, and the police and the emergency uh, officials also told them that they had had several reports of of this plane go- going over. So, you know, naturally, the, the skeptic side of me, you know, says, well, maybe there was an air show, and there wasn't an air show at that time. And sometimes uh, you might think that they're mistaking modern aircraft with this with these World War II aircrafts. But as I explain in a little bit, as I'll explain in a little bit, that didn't pan, that excuse didn't pan out either. And... Another uh, fact about this this series of of sightings is that the sightings occurred kind of all over this dark peak area, and it didn't resemble like any flight path, any straight line or even curved line that you would see uh, an airplane take. Um, So all of these – and the other thing was that there was one – one of the the witnesses to this – actually was worked uh, on an air base during World War II and knew the difference between, let's say, uh, a C-130, that's a modern plane, than a, a Lancaster bomber. So you have all these debates going back and forth about really what's happening, but that's one of the areas that uh, is is haunted by these ghost planes. These are planes that shouldn't be in the sky, but but are at least these people are, are are claiming to see those. You know, you you just mentioned the Lancaster bomber, and it twigged in my memory uh, another story my father had told me. And uh, he came back from uh, Europe in 1946, and um, soon after was was dating my mom. They were married in '51, so this would have been in the early '50s. And at this time, they lived outside of our hometown in a little village, uh, Oakland, Ontario. And I remember him telling me the story. I had forgotten about it until you said Lancaster Bomber. Hmm. You're driving along this country road, and he sees out the windshield uh, this Lancaster Bomber flying over these farmers' fields very low to the ground. And, in fact, it flew over the road in front of him. And he just kind of watched it, but it didn't make a sound. And then it was gone. And now, again, it's possible there were, you know, Lancaster bombers still around and in working order at that time. But, mm-hmm. uh, no, he, he just believed it was a hallucination. Um, 
But, well, yeah, go ahead. It, let me match you with one from my own my own family, and uh, this was probably I was just a kid. I I was probably eleven or twelve years old, and um, my mom and dad used to wake up pretty early, five six o'clock in the morning. I think this was a uh, early summer, maybe late summer morning, and they liked to take morning walks. And so they left the porch and they were going down the alley. And my mom told me that uh, they saw a plane that was huge. Now, you know, my dad was a World War II buff and he always claimed that he didn't think it was a World War II aircraft, but it was definitely a big airplane that was probably, uh, you know, 100, 200 feet off the ground, which is incredibly low. Uh, for where I live, which was in the in town, you know, it wasn't like we were out in the country at all. And they said the plane flew over. They could see illumination from inside of the aircraft, and it went over a field nearby, uh, a little football field near our house, banked into the sky, and and just disappeared without a sound. And my mom always claimed that that was the ghost plane, and that's one of the reasons why. I was searching for some of these stories in the first place. And, you know, I was just lucky enough to f- uncover a few uh, in the U.K. because during World War II, it, you know, England was essentially the aircraft carrier for allies, for the allied uh, troops. So uh, I figured if they were going to appear anywhere, they would appear in U.K. And, and so, you know, I do find these stories not just in the UK, but in the United States, uh, and also out west, right after uh, Pearl Harbor, there's an, uh, an incident which some claim was uh, was a ghost plane. Oh, can you tell me anything more about that one? Well, there's there there are two. There there's one that right after uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor. In fact, it was so near the time of of uh, Pearl Harbor that the people in California didn't even know about the attack. This plane came over in considerable distress, and um, the, the f- witnesses saw it. It was a American uh, World War II plane, fighter plane, flew over. Uh, they sent the fire crews out into the woods to try to find this, and they, they found nothing. And so that was always um, – they claim that there were a few uh, planes in the – well, they don't claim. There were a few planes uh, in the air, American aircraft uh, uh, fighter planes uh, in the air fighting the Japanese attack. Uh, and there was one crash in particular where a uh, an American pilot – um, died during this uh, attack on on the Japanese fighter plane. I think it was shot down. And the story that came around this was that this was somehow related to that that um, that crash during Pearl Harbor. However, you know, Pearl Harbor's a thousand, two thousand miles away from where this incident occurred. And then there's another one. I think a year later, where. A plane was flying in, was picked up on radar. They sent out escorts to see what was, whether it was a friendly aircraft or whether it was a uh, Japanese aircraft. Uh, they saw that it was a friendly aircraft, uh, and the uh, escorts followed it into California, where it actually did crash. They could, never found the pilot in the in the plane, uh, and they also noticed that uh, the carriage had been ripped off of the the 
the wheels had been ripped off of the bottom of the plane, uh, and it was actually flying in without wheels. So how the plane even got airborne, because there were a few, uh, a few excuses or a few reasons that were passed around that perhaps this pilot was crash landed on an island and fixed the plane to get it in flight, but there would have been no way for that to happen. So there were, there were several of those types of ghost plane incidences and, and how they, uh, relate to the entire effort there is, is kind of a mystery. Uh, I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name, but years ago I spoke with he was an American who was living in Russia, and he had he had gone to work for the Kodak uh, Eastman Kodak Company in, I believe, Moscow. Mm. Retired there and uh, decided to to live on there, and um, he he wrote a story that he says was related to him by someone who was present in at Thule Air Force Base uh, in Greenland, uh, and that this had happened sometime in the 80s or 90s. Details are getting a little sketchy, mm-hmm. um, but there was a, um, a a World War II vintage bomber, uh, and it was called Kingbird Fifty, and it was uh, back in the forties. It was approaching Thule Air Force Base in this in a winter storm, and it went off radar and vanished. Never heard from mm. again until supposedly the 1980s or 90s, and they, they're getting uh, at Thule Air Force Base. They're getting a distress call on a strange, on a sideband on the radio that's rarely ever used, and it identified itself as King Bird 50. And hmm. supposedly this bomber, it made a crash landing in Green, out in Greenland. They sent out a search party, and they found this plane. And the crew on board, frozen to death, uh, perfectly preserved. And, of course, everything was locked down. It was all hush-hush. Uh, they supposedly took this plane apart, shipped it back to the uh, the United States, and no one was supposed to say anything, but someone at Thule Air Force Base leaked this remarkable story to wow. this, this gentleman uh, in Moscow who told me about it. It's, you know, it could be apocryphal. Whether it is or not, I don't know, but it was one hell of a yarn, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's fascinating. And there's, there's also this, um, uh, one of the suggestions was that somehow people, uh, are conflating both of those accounts. So in other words, there was this strange crash landing the year after Pearl Harbor that the people then, uh, morphed into this more of a ghost lore story about this ghost plane that flew over and then disappeared. So you do have some of that 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 to me makes it a little more fascinating. Uh, so how these things can kind of morph in the imagination. We were going to talk about the supernatural on the high seas and um, obviously uh, a lot of haunted naval vessels. Uh, I don't know if this is in the book, but it was a troop carrier that's now, I think, stationed, is it off Long Beach or Los Angeles somewhere, Santa Monica, the Queen Mary. Mm-hmm. It's supposedly one of the most haunted locations in the United States. Do you talk about the Queen Mary in, in your book? I, I left that one out because th- there are some stories that relate to World War II, but I wasn't sure how much that it would relate to World War II. So, you know, I made that decision to leave that out. And, and as a matter of fact, I had so many other uh, ghost stories from the 
the fighting ships themselves. So that's one of the reasons. But I, I have heard about it, and I've heard, you know, I think a few people have said that it's, as you mentioned, the, the most haunted spot in the United States. Matt Swain. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. Say, I just published the January 2020 issue of my monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. If you missed out, no problem. All you need to do is go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, and register. Just enter your name and email address, and you'll start receiving Inner Sanctum every month for free, starting in February. And once you register, your name automatically goes into the monthly draw for free Strange Planet merch. It's so simple. Just go to strangeplanet.ca, enter your name and email address. The Inner Sanctum, yours, absolutely free. Register today at strangeplanet.ca. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, an electrical engineer and author discusses the possibility we're living in a computer simulation. Essentially, in a dream, you're kind of brainstorming. You're thinking about things in a sort of a fantasy way. Your mind can go or your consciousness can go wherever it wants. But in the physical reality, it can't quite because it's constrained by the rules of our physical reality, the physics engine and, and the fact that other people are observing the same thing. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 